scripture reading today, it's also printed in your bulletins, comes from Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll be reading from verses 7 through 16. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And this is God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you are here with us. If this is your first time, if this is your hundredth time, um, we are glad um, that you are here to worship with us. And currently we're going through our sermon series on the book of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul. And one of the primary points of Ephesians is the meaning of the church, that when we talk about our unity in light of Jesus, that there is a union dynamic in terms of the people of Jesus, that as a church, if this is your first time here, we value this uh, a core value of being community dependent. And that when we say that we're community dependent, is not just as value that we're constantly stating, but it is from Scripture, that it is the very breath of God that caused us to do life with one another. So as we dive into the Word this morning, I'm going to ask that you would join me in prayer. Lord God, we want to come before you, Almighty God, that you are sovereign and that you reign, Lord God, and your mercy is falling upon us right now, Lord God, and we declare, we proclaim, Lord God, that we are in need of mercy. That every single person in this room, Lord God, is in need of grace. So, Lord God, will, with grace, Lord God, rain down in this room right now. May you fill us with the Holy Spirit so that you could awaken our hearts, Lord God, that you would allow us to hear, Lord God, and that we will see what you want us to see. Lord God, I pray that it will be your scripture that speaks and has nothing to do with me. Lord God, I am a open and broken vessel, so I pray that you will, Lord, use me to your glory. Lord, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. May you use me accordingly to your strength. 
we give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise to the God who is able. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, for the past few weeks, we specifically have been focusing on Ephesians chapter 4. And last week, we talked about the importance of spiritual maturity. And what I love about this book, and specifically this chapter, in light of spiritual maturity, the Apostle Paul, he states, it is clear that the one way If you want to grow in light of spiritual maturity, if you want to develop as a believer, if you want to know more about Jesus, spiritual maturity, it actually plays out within the context of community. In other words, a key ingredient to truly understand what it means to be unified with Jesus Christ is actually through your union with the church he has called you to. That in light of a vertical union with God, we are to have a horizontal union with others. And this is the reason why our union goes beyond Jew and Gentile. This is the reason why our union goes beyond any race or socioeconomical status. That this union goes way beyond your selfish desires to run away from the community of Christ that you are called to as a Christian. If I could say it this way as one of the pastors here, I could speak on behalf of all of the leadership. I just want to say this. That many in this room, you probably don't have the best view of the church because of a past experience with the church as a whole. But my hope and my prayer this morning is that if you are here, that scripture would offer hope and conviction to do life with the ones that are sitting next to you. For we find this truth in Scripture this morning. I have three points as we continue onto this theme of the body of Christ. I got three points for us this morning. The three points are that the body of Christ is to be a community of grace. Secondly, a community that builds. And finally, a community that speaks. A community of grace, a community that builds, and finally, a community that speaks. First point is that it is a community of grace. If you read verse 7 with me, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. Starting from verse 7, what we begin to see is this theme of gifting for the sake of unity amongst Jew and Gentile, the people of God, the church of Ephesus. Now, what I love about this verse is that the Apostle Paul is rather than just specifically talking about gifts and the talents and the qualities that you have, the, the things that make you really good at something as a person, he kind of backs it up and he starts with this idea of grace. See, for the Apostle Paul, when he talks about the unity of the body, that each member does have a distinctive gift, that if you aren't in this room and you are a believer, you have a spiritual gifting that goes accordingly to what God has planned. The reason why you and I have the ability to serve is because of grace. So when you look at Ephesians chapter 4, you look at this passage we see Paul not necessarily challenging Jew and Gentile to use their gift, but rather Paul is emphasizing 
that it is because of grace you have the opportunity to fan out this flame, to share this gifting in light of community. So he does expand on this truth. Look at verse 8 through 10 with me. He's talking about grace. Verse 8, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, specifically, Paul is referring to Psalm 68, verse 18. In his original context, Psalm 68 is simply about God arriving and rescuing his people because of grace. Now, what the Apostle Paul does when he looks at Psalm 68 is he actually puts that to the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Psalm 68, we see that there's a God. He's ascending to Mount Zion. He's now triumphing over his enemies. And now he reigns as king. And the Apostle Paul, he applies this to the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what I love about verse 8 through 10 is that Paul, he emphasizes that, yes, Jesus Christ, he ascended and he gave gifts. And he's highlighting that Jesus Christ also ascended to the heavenly realms and now he sitteth on the throne. But what I love is that in verse 9 and 10, he talks about how Jesus proactively descended to the lower earthly regions. In other words... Jesus Christ, who was perfect, he was holy, he was infinite and rich, but he became flesh. He died the death that we deserve to die. He descended to the point of death on a cross just to be ascended, to sit on as royalty. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20, Paul says, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And the point is this. When we talk about the body of Christ, the body of Christ must be a community that is always in awe of the grace that Christ has shown on the cross to reflect grace in our relationships by helping others carry their cross. See, it's clear A community that does not breathe in and breathe out the gospel message of grace that saves us. It will actually become a community filled with bitterness, anger, and discord among the people of God. And it will slowly destroy us. See, the body of Christ, the community of God, you and I, we need a healthy fuel that will be everlasting to the body to function well in the midst of our sin and suffering. That if the body of Christ is not fueled by the gospel, the church will be bitter when you feel like people are not growing. If the body of Christ is not fueled by the gospel, the church will forget its mission and it becomes about self-agenda and it becomes about fixing someone rather than walking with somebody. If the body of Christ is not fueled by the gospel, it will be about your self-glorification rather than somebody's honor and dignity. Listen. 
you only burn out if you run out of fuel. And the question for us today is the gospel, the fuel, the fire, the passion for the church today. Now, what I love about verses 8 through 10 is that he talks about descending and ascending, and I actually think it gives us a very practical way of how the community of Christ should uh, respond in light of descending and ascending. Because look at Jesus Christ. First, he ascended, meaning Jesus Christ, he went down to his people. He walked with them. He ministered to them. And I think practically that plays out for us in light of community. Because in the same way, If Jesus Christ descended to walk with his people, to walk with sinners and sufferings in need of grace, well, let that convict us and allow us to do the very same thing in light of community. Walk with others. Let this truth of dissension melt your pride. Let this truth of dissension melt your arrogance that makes you think you're a little bit better than the person sitting next to you. Let it humble you. Let it allow you to consider a person next to you in light of sin and your suffering and you decide to walk and to meet them at where they are. Love, counsel, shepherd, grab a meal, enjoy one another. For the sake of God's glory, you will descend. Let it kill your pride. Let it humble you. But secondly, what does it say? He talks about an ascension. That in the context of community, just as Jesus Christ ascended, meaning he conquered death, he rose again. God is all glorious, all most high, almighty. He ascended in the same way. What does it mean that in light of someone's brokenness and suffering, how are you instruments in the Redeemer's hands? How are you allowing them to see hope in hopelessness? How are you being an instrument of truth when chaos is overwhelming? How are you reminding people of glory and honor when sin is stripping away their dignity? The body of Christ needs to be a community centered in grace, for grace was first given to us. And it's because of grace, it leads us to the second point, that the body of Christ is a community that builds. Read verse 11 with me. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And I'll stop right there. Now, what do we see in verse 11? We see that Christ himself, by grace, he supplies the church with gifted leaders to provide the church with the teachings of Christ for the edification of the body. So we see these roles kind of play out. We see teaching, preaching, discipling, and counseling. In other words, the Apostle Paul is making it clear that he is emphasizing the ministry of the Word. But it is in the ministry of the Word that always leads to deeds-maced ministry. So you look at verse 12, it says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What does this tell us? A community that is to build up the body of Christ through works of service. It must be rooted in our love of intimately knowing the gospel. 
what do I mean? If you look at verse 13, the Apostle Paul, he continues, it says, until we reach all unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Donnie talked about this a little bit, specifically when we talk about this idea of knowledge. And then in the Greek, we find that this word is epinosis. To, what that means is to really know, not just know or say, oh, I think I know, but to really intimately know the gospel, to truly intimately and deeply know a personal gospel, that if you want a community that is to be built, it must be built on the foundation of intimacy with Jesus, a true understanding of the gospel, that you and I are dead in our sin and we have no hope, but because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are now saved, you are alive, you are redeemed, you are no longer trapped to your idolatry for there is renewal in light of him to truly know a personal gospel, to know the builder, to know who our foundation is. What's the problem? The problem is, is that by our very nature, we don't want to necessarily see the builder. By our very nature, specifically, we don't want to mature. That in our sinful nature, we want to continue in our immature ways of selfishness rather than selflessness in light of community. The Apostle Paul, he says in verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Specifically, the Apostle Paul says that we are spiritual infants, that by nature we are quickly to learn and listen to false teaching, bad counseling, gossip from foolish people, rather than the wisdom of people that value scripture and truth. That by nature, you and I were emotionally unstable. We lack direction and we're constantly complaining when we don't get what we naturally desire. So what is our solution in light of spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity? Well, going back to verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, to know the fullness of Christ. I want us to highlight that, to know the fullness of Christ. Now, what do we mean by fullness? I think what it says about what it means to know the fullness of Christ, and you look at verse 11 and 12, what do we see in verse 11 and 12? We see this idea that the ministry of the word and in light of the ministry of the word, we see the ministry of deed. So we see a scripture foundation, a truth, and then we see the truth play out. When, I, when we see the fullness of Christ, I think in the very same way, we also see word and deed. What do I mean? Well, if you look at John chapter 1, verse 14, John declares about the person of Jesus Christ that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what do we see in the book of Philippians? What do we see in the Gospels? The second half of that word, that the word became flesh, but he also showed it on the cross, the perfect work of Christ. The point is this, is that for us to kind of grow in light of spiritual maturity, we have to know the fullness of Jesus Christ, that he is the word, that the word was made flesh. And in light of that word made flesh, he showed his work on the cross. It was deed. So in light of our ministry, you want our church, you want any local church to build in light of the fullness of a church and the calling of word and deed, it has to parallel to Jesus Christ and the fullness of him, the perfect word, the perfect deed on the cross. Jesus Christ must be the core foundation of your spiritual maturity, your conviction and character. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says it this way. If you uh, look at your program, he says, those who dream of this idolized community demands that it must be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up by their own law, and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build Christ builds the church. Christ is the cornerstone of all that we do. This leads to our third point. The body of Christ is a community that speaks. If you read verse 15 with me. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, Paul is focusing the goal on the goal of spiritual maturity for the believer and for the body of believers, and they are growing up in the head who is Jesus Christ. But what I love about this verse, probably one of my favorite verses of Scripture, he says that the practical way of doing it is by speaking truth and love. I want us to highlight that if you can, to highlight, to speak truth and love. Because it's really important for us to understand why the Apostle Paul says this. The reason why the Apostle Paul probably highlights this idea of speaking truth and love is because this was during a time when there were many false teachers. They were preaching false doctrine. There's a lot of heresy going on. So for the Apostle Paul, he's kind of approaching this uh, heads-on. He's, kind of, uh, uh, he's kind of creating this uh, warfare against this false doctrine. And the Apostle Paul, he's saying, brothers, sisters, church, beloved, that during this time of false doctrine and heresy, we have to preach truth in love, to speak truth in love. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, he says in love at least six times. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, excuse me, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ. Now for us, why is this important? See, 
You can be the most knowledgeable in Scripture. You can be the most passionate about theology. You can be an, a skilled Christian unapologist, but does not necessarily equal you to being a Christian. You know, but you don't really know. See, Christ calls us to speak truth in love. But if we're honest, it's a little hard to do, is it not? See, if I'm honest, uh, something for me is something that's kind of difficult for me to do. And I'm going to be honest, I don't necessarily do it very well. And I think what I notice that with a lot of people, when we talk about communication and relationships and how you walk with people, typically uh, we're really good at one, but we're not really good at the other. Um, but with that said, in light of spiritual maturity, we're called to do both, speak truth and love. But if we're honest, uh, some of us have a hard time because either you're not really good at speaking truth or you're not really good at doing the love part. What do I mean? Some of us in this room, you probably have a hard time because we often don't speak. Like many of you in this room, you're probably at one personality that you have a real understanding of love, but you don't necessarily know how to speak truth. You're probably that one person that has a, a high level of empathy. You love hearing narratives, so you comfort, you pray, you mourn with them. And you have this context of love. You have this relational context where you actually have access to that person, but you lack the boldness to speak truth. So in this relational context, this opportunity of speaking truth, to share counsel, to challenge, to rebuke, to question, you often don't do so. And if this is you, the question is, what the challenge is, the conviction is, are you really growing with that person? Are you really loving that person? Are you really wanting them to grow in light of Jesus' name? And I'm going to say this. The question is, is if you really love that person. Because if you're not really speaking truth into their life, the question becomes, is that do you really love that person in Jesus' name? Or is it the fear of just wanting to be loved? At the same time, some of us, you have a hard time because you don't love. You do the speaking truth part very, very well, but the love part, eh, kind of not so much, right? See, on the opposite end of this, if you're in this room, there's some people that love the truth. You have the gift of objectivity. You see things through Scripture. You objectively see things because of the years of experience. But the problem is you probably lack the relational context to actually share. And if I can say this, speaking truth without a foundation of love is just as dangerous as not speaking truth with a foundation of love. See, if you aren't walking with people intimately, if you aren't walking with people in light of the gospel, but you love speaking truth, the challenge I would, uh, the challenge I would give you, the question that I would ask is, well, what are your motives of speaking so much truth? 
And if I can call out one other person in this room, is that there are some that are very blessed to have people that speak truth and love very, very well. But some of us in this room just don't want to listen. I know sometimes it's not easy. I know sometimes you don't want to hear the things that are being said. I know sometimes you don't like being confronted about your sin. I know sometimes you don't want to be challenged about the things that you value. My question to you is, if you're one of those blessed people in the room that have brothers and sisters that speak truth in love, are you willing to humbly submit to that brother and sister, to listen to what they're actually saying to you, to consider that there is truth that needs to be stated and in the context of love, but maybe it's just you because of your sin and your pride and your unwillingness to submit to the very word of God. So practically, the question for you today is, which one are you? Are you someone that uh, is, is constantly loving, but you're not speaking tr in truth? Or maybe you're that person that speaks a lot of truth, but you're not walking with people. And my, my challenge is, my hope, actually my hope is don't be discouraged. Continue to look at Christ. Look at the person and work of Christ. The Word became flesh. The work shown on the cross. Word and deed truth and in love. Look at him. Be reminded of him, that in him, the perfect representation of speaking in truth and love, he was the word, he was the truth, and he displayed it on a cross. So amazing, so divine. Continue to look and gaze your eyes upon him so that you would consider doing life well with people. That let Christ alone be the sole source of your uh, walking with people. Let Christ's humbleness melt you into humility. And that, yes, for the few who are blessed to have both common repentance, knowing that you're riding on deaf ears. Read verse 16 with me as I begin to close this out. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now here the Apostle Paul, as he begins to close out this section of Ephesians 4, he's deepening this illustration of the body of Christ, right? That the community of God by one body, many parts, and it's all kind of coming together. And he says that we're all held by supporting ligaments, and it all comes in oneness. And as I was kind of personally meditating on this verse specifically, it kind of broke me because I was thinking about the sad reality of the body. I'm talking about me personally. See, you know, at the age of 34, I know some of you guys are like, oh, age of 34. I know some of you guys are like, oh, you're like a baby. Um, I know some of you guys that are younger, you're looking at me and you're saying you're like a really old baby. But, but you know, like, <laughs> um, the sad reality is, <laughs> the sad reality is 
at the age of 34, I'm noticing things about me. You know, my metabolism is not like what it once was. Like, I got to eat kale now. I have to have superfoods in my life, right? Like, I have to do these things. I have to work out a little bit more, right? I have to get checked up by the doctor a little bit more often. I need a little bit more sleep, and my bones are slowly breaking. I start to feel it, right? Scars will slowly develop. And it's a sad reality of where I am right now, that as days go by, the body slowly begins to break. You're like, oh my God, that's so sad. It's coming. Pray for y'all. Um, this is a sad reality, but I was actually thinking about the sad reality as it pertains to the body of Christ. And there is a reality that the body of Christ is not perfect. That in light of sin and suffering, in light of relationship, that when you have one sinner and you add another sinner, it adds to more sin. So there's going to be a lot of breaking down in light of the church body. But be encouraged, because I was encouraged about this. Is that in light of what we just talked about, that is the point. That the church was not meant to reflect perfect people. Rather, an imperfect people that worship a perfect Savior. And I just want to say this as we close out. If you are considering the faith in any shape or form, as I said earlier, if this is your first time here or if this is your hundredth time here, my challenge for you is don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged in light of maybe a past experience that you had at a church from a long time ago. Don't be discouraged right now when maybe in the moment, maybe in this room that you have some relationships that are probably at its best right now. Don't be discouraged by that. But be reminded that, that yes, the body is broken. Yes, there is sin and suffering. But in Jesus' name, there will be opportunity to grow. In Jesus' name, there is always a sanctification process in light of who you are and the relationships that are around you. And if this is for you today, just consider to continue to do life with one another. And yes, it is very hard. In fact, it might be the hardest thing that you will do. But know that in Him, it is for God's glory and it is for your good. If the perfection of Jesus Christ was meant for an imperfect people in light of hope, then it is for imperfect people to continue to reflect hope through the perfection of Jesus Christ. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me?